anyone can make someone tired, right? And this is something I try to explain to to my players is that I can take I can grab anyone from the street here and come in and say to you and say to them, you need to get these guys fit. And I say, what do you think they'll do? And a lot of the players are like, they'll probably just make us run and run and run and run until we're tired. And I'm like, exactly. But at the end of the day, have you gotten better? Sports science, strength and conditioning, high performance coaching. Welcome to the Decoding Excellence Show. Today's episode is brought to you by Vaud Performance, the makers of the Nordboard. If you haven't checked out their website yet, I highly suggest you head over there, whether it's return to play, injury prevention, or just plain performance testing. Vaud Performance has the tools that you need. Check them out at vaudperformance.com. Today on the show, I'm joined with Derek Salvador, the owner and director of sports science at Athletic Solutions, Inc. Currently, Derek is the head of strength and conditioning for the Oakville Soccer Club, Power FC Academy, KW United FC, and GPS Canada Academy. Today on the show, we discuss enriching kinesiology students' education by involving them in the practice of strength and conditioning and different modalities. We discuss his experiences working with different football academies, ranging from U10s to U20s and the differences in teaching and pedagogy that he has to employ to teach a 10-year-old versus a 20-year-old. Later in the show, we start to discuss different books and mentors and resources that we've used to enrich our own coaching journey. This is a wide-ranging conversation with a coach who I've seen all along the spectrum of a long-term athletic development model. You do not want to miss this show. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Coach Derek Salvador. Derek, welcome to the show. Hi, Adam. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me aboard. Hey, I uh, I wanted to just again, I want to thank you for participating, and agreeing to come on the Decoding Excellence show. Uh, I know sometimes scheduling with both of us can be kind of crazy, but uh, I'm finally glad that we can find a time to sit down and, and chat and share your experiences. How are things uh, in in your neck of the woods? Uh, in our neck of the woods, it's it's not too bad. Um, you know, we've had pretty a pretty mild winter so far. Uh, I was kind of hoping winter was almost over and done with, and then on Friday we got some more snow. Uh, so hopefully that'll be gone soon. But uh, yeah, no, everything is good. Uh, just you know, working away is always such as yourself, and uh, no, things are good. Can't complain. I uh, and I'm trying to think. I so number one here at Wichita State and probably even during my graduate experience, uh, assistant experience, I never really got out of the country, but the only yep. other country I've ever been to is Canada. But what, what parts of Canada, um, do you reside at? So I'm, uh, so I, uh, live just outside of Toronto. Uh, so I live in a small suburb. It's a small, small town called uh, Georgetown and which is, which is about 40 to about 45 minutes outside the city. Um, so you're not too far away and stuff. I do a lot of my work in Toronto still. Uh, but yeah, so that's, that's kind of where I'm at right now. Oh, fascinating. See, uh, growing up in Michigan, we would, uh, we would cross the bridge and we'd go into Windsor, um, which yeah. at yeah. that time they, they literally was, uh, there was not, you know, much of uh, passports needed or anything. You could literally just cross and declare and whatever. And, um, but that was my only sort of experience being in, in Canada. So, uh, I need, uh, I need to make it up there for a conference or two, uh, next year or so, but 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, the interesting thing is, is that I did my undergraduate degree at the University of Windsor. Uh, so, so all those, all the Americans used to come in across the border on Friday and Saturday nights. Uh, yeah, it's kind of, it kind of rings familiar a little bit. Yeah. I mean, like I've been in those, uh, that was probably us back in the day. So I can, uh, I can certainly relate to it. Hey, I, uh, I, I, again, I'm so excited that we could finally get on uh, the phone and, and have this interview because I think the work that you're doing is exceptional, especially when it comes to what you're doing from an athletic development standpoint. And even though, you know, in the beginning of the show, we talked about what your bio and we talked the intro of the show, but I'd love for you to give the audience just an updated bio in your own words of what you're currently up to in your current position, and and then we can kind of expand on that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so doing doing a bunch of different things, uh, which kind of keeps me busy, keeps me on my toes. Um, and as of right now, your uh, day is I work as a um, an instructor at the University of Toronto in the Faculty of Kinesiology and Physical Education. Um, so it's a really, really unique um, kind of course that we teach. So the way it works is when you when you think about when you did your undergraduate, you you went to class, uh, you sat in a lecture, you were given all this information, and you kind of ran a, went and wrote an exam, and kind of that was that. And you know, really, what what are you doing with the information? What does the information really mean? How do we put it into practice? And based on the courses that I help teach, is uh, I work closely with a professor named um, Dr. David Ross, and we pretty much try to bring the learning to life, which is really, really, really cool. Uh, or at least I think it is. And uh, so basically, what we do is we try to take all the concepts that we are learning in kinesiology and physical education, and we try to put a practical component to it. Uh, so depending if we're talking about agility or plyometrics, if we're talking about coaching, if we're talking about movement variability, if we're talking about physical literacy, all these different terms that, that are thrown out there. And we try and do activities where these concepts come to life. So now the students get a better understanding as to what it is they're learning and how we actually put this up into practice. Um, so I kind of do that throughout the, throughout the week. I teach first, second, and third year students, which I guess co- uh, coinciding with um, with how the college, uh, uh, U.S. college system is, it'd be like teaching uh, your freshman, your sophomore, and your uh, your junior classes. Uh, so we do that, so first, second, and third year. And then in the evenings is where I do my own training. Um, so I'm involved with a bunch of different projects. Uh, so I work with one academy in Toronto um, called Power FC. And so I work with their U10s all the way up to their under 20 groups. And I also work with an initiative here that we started in Ontario where they're trying to raise the level of standards of, uh, of soccer in the, the province and it's a program called the Ontario Player Development League and so I work closely with the Oakville Soccer Club um, and with other various other teams uh, another academy called uh, GPS Canada and then other that uh, throughout the summer I work closely with the US uh, P- sorry USLPD team which is called KW United which is an under 23 team uh, here in the province and working with individual athletes uh, on top of that so pretty much I get up at 6 a.m and I don't uh, I don't come into the house sometimes until 10 10:30 uh, at night and then we do it all over again so that that's pretty much uh, that's pretty much me in a nutshell I think if uh if you were to isolate either of those roles and just uh, you know yep. hold an hold an academic position and post 
that is a full-time job in, in itself. And likewise, the evening position as far as the uh, consulting and working and training and development with, uh, with athletes, that's also another uh, full-time role. I can certainly kind of relate, <laughs> relate to, uh, yeah. to the, the time demands of both. Man, you are a, uh, a busy individual for sure. Um, I'd, I'd love to kind of kick around uh, a couple different topics as we go through this because um, I think you have an ex- certainly an experience that can discuss the science behind the athletic development. And I think that is a, a, a needed issue that I'd love to address in the show. But to to kind of maybe draw um, some ideas as far as how you got into sport, I'd love to, because again, as I've talked to other professors and I've talked to other academics, um, for a lot of people, it's not always, you know, like that's, they've gotten into it because of, you know, either a rich history of sport or their backgrounds, but for you, why, why athletics? Why this uh, sort of emphasis in kinesiology, exercise science? How did it lead you into that, uh, that academic position? Well, if you think about it for, for myself is, you know, growing up as a kid, you know, I was always involved in sport in some way. And I guess I can thank my my parents for that. You know, I remember my dad, you know, always, always, always active, um, even even up until his final years, you know, going to the gym all the time, trying to stay fit and things like that. And it really, really rubbed off on me a lot. Um, so as a kid, you know, growing up playing soccer a lot, uh, that was kind of my main sport that I, that I played. But, you know, growing up as a kid, it was, you know, we played street hockey after school every day. And, you know, we played basketball and we played football and we played baseball. Um, so there was always some... There for me, it was always about being active, which was which is something I always found fascinating, something I always really, really enjoyed. Um, and then even kind of going going down the path that I am now is what was interesting was when I was 16 years old, I fractured my ankle uh, in a slide tackle. And so I had a cast on, couldn't play, and uh, then the cast finally came off. And uh, I went to physiotherapy, and I was like, wow, how cool is this? You know, if one day... You know, because at that just kind of 16, you kind of figure, you know what, I, I'd love to be a professional athlete. Uh, but with, with with the opportunities that were available at that time, my chances of going pro were probably slim to none. So how can I still somehow be involved in sport and, and all these kind of things? And so then all of a sudden it's like, okay, this, this is kind of a cool career where I can help treat individuals who have suffered some kind of injury and stuff. So eventually, you know, career kind of came to an end and then you know mind you know mind uh, mind you i still was able to continue playing competitively for you know till i was in my mid-30s and stuff which was uh which I was quite impressed with you know what i mean but it also you know kept thinking about you know preparation and nutrition and how do i look after myself so i can still compete with you know players who were half my age right um so again, it sent you know just kind of led me down the path where I am. So then it became about rehab, and then from rehab it was you know working closely with the population that I was working with, and you know how can we how can we help integrate a lot of these injured athletes back into sport, and then you know from there it just kept kept you know evolving kept evolving. And I'm like, okay, hold on a second. Why is it I'm trying to be so reactive? So how why is it I'm trying to address how I can integrate these 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 injured athletes back into the sport? Maybe I need to look on the other side and, you know, what is it that we can do to try and, you know, maybe reduce these types of injuries so that way these people can spend more time on the field, court, ice, wherever, uh, to learn their sport and not so much, 
you know, on the injured side of things. And then from there, just, you know, the whole academic thing and just trying to learn and looking at the science and what's behind the science. And, uh, and then also looking on the other end with the art of coaching, what, 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 what does it take in order to implement all that science? And, you know, kind of when I saw the role that was available at uh, University of Toronto, it was, it was really interesting to be able to try and blend the two where it's like, you know, essentially trying to provide all the students with the experiences that I had experienced. So basically, how can we take all the science that you're learning and, and how can we make an art of it? How can we help you implement it? How can we teach you about, you know, all the different clients you're going to potentially be working with one day? How can we help you guys kind of create your own role where you can deal with maybe you're working with um, corporations where you're implementing wellness programs. Maybe you're working with uh, youth development where you're implementing, um, you know, physical literacy programs. Uh, maybe we're looking at, you know, active for life programs where we're trying to keep people of all ages, you know, active for, for throughout their lifespan and stuff. So, so when I look at that whole spectrum and kind of like where I was at and kind of what I've learned and what I want to do, it just it just all seems to mesh me. And I guess the big thing is, you know, I don't want it to be cliche, but you know, it's about passion. It's what really, really, really fuels me. It's what keeps me excited. And you know what? Like what job isn't great where you can go and be active every day and you can, you know, be kicking around a soccer ball every single day, and, you know, and interact with individuals where you can, you can, you know, you can really influence or, or, or have an influence on some part of their life. Right. So I guess, I guess for me, that's, that's kind of like what keeps me going and what's what, you know, how it got me involved and what keeps me involved in everything that I do. What's interesting uh, to me about your background is both the, the academic side of it and being instrumental into teaching other teachers, essentially teaching other future teachers or practitioners, the protocols and the sort of the art or perhaps even uh, more accurately, the science of what we do, but then to take it one step further and start to integrate that into a learning environment. And that's, uh, that's something that, you know, I'm hoping here in the, in the next couple um, at least spring 2018 that we start to try to do at Wichita State is to sort of blend our athletic department in what we're doing um, from a strength conditioning high performance program into teaching the academic side of it as well and making a, a strength and conditioning 400 level class or something like that because I think that's sorely sorely needed. How uh, with that I mean you, you talked about it in your bio a little bit about blending the two which i think is is fascinating what uh how are how are you doing that i mean like what is sort of the the basis of a classroom setting and then trying to go into teaching uh the various uh modalities or differences of, of physical preparation to the students that enroll i mean what if you could put me sort of uh in that class right now i mean like if and paint the picture of it what's that look like yeah, so like I said, I worked uh, very closely with one of our uh, with one of our professors at the university, and essentially what it is is that um, depending on what the you know what the the topic is, or or depending even what the course uh, is entailing, um, you would come into class, uh, and then essentially we would have so the students get their workshops ahead of time, so that way they can review and they can get an understanding of the concepts that we will be discussing. And from there, what we do is we sit down and we will give them a little bit of a back, a little bit of background information. So if the first 15, 20, uh, perhaps even the first 30 minutes of the class will be some sort of a lecture component. We're basically, we're kind of giving a little bit of a background to the students. Uh, so say, for example, we were talking about 
uh, plyometrics. So this would be a first-year course. So with plyometrics, we go into discussion on what makes an exercise you know, truly plyometric. And we try to give them a little bit of a better understanding as to what it is. Because most people will assume that you know, plyometrics are only you know, jumping-based exercises. right? So trying to really have them have a better understanding as to what that is. And then from there, what we'll do is we'll start getting into some activities or some exercises where now the students can start to experience uh, a little bit about the shortening cycle, um, you know, looking at different progressions. So how can we do some sort of, sort of jump? So say we're looking at a squat jump, we're going to only focus on the concentric. So say, for example, is, you know, in order to take advantage of the stretch shortening cycle, you have to have, you know, individuals who have some level of coordination, but also some level of strength, too, to be able to to tolerate the demands of the exercise or of the loads being posed on, um, you know, on their bodies. And so how can we, how can we, you know, start from, from base level? And so let's talk about the concentric contraction portion. We will work through that, you know, then how do we integrate the eccentric portion, uh, you know, um, component of that and then from there how do we combine the two and then from there how does that affect performance and if we jump too far too soon can that impact performance negatively and so the students will work through these different uh, activities they will take pre and post scores and then from there we will have some discussion questions where then now we will discuss as a group and not so much and what's really important here is not so much on what the right answer is but what did you as a student just experience so base your uh, your answers off of what you just went through right and what your colleagues went through or your classmates went through and then from there we will you know we'll leave into a summary kind of like you know how we wrap everything up and then we'll have some transferable so essentially we'll have some content pieces so some content that you know things that we want them really coming away from from today's lesson and then a transferable where Something that we discussed or how we discussed it or how it was taught or, or the coaching that the athletes went through with each other or the instructions that maybe I went and provided ahead of time, maybe the instructions that didn't provide ahead of time, and how did that impact their learning and how they can relate that to things outside of class. So we also want things to be not just about kin and phys ed related and also not just about in-class related stuff, but how can we take those concepts and then apply to other areas outside um, of the classroom. And the, the big thing is that, you know, what we've realized or what we see is that, you know, with a lot of people who come in to do, you know, kin or, or phys ed, is what are you going to do with your degree afterwards? And apart from doing physiotherapy, occupational therapy, or going to med school, what else is there for you to do? Or what else can there be for you? And I guess that's important because when you talk to most of the students, it's like, well, what are you going to do after you graduate? I'm going to physio school. I'm going to occupational therapy school. I'm going to med school. Or the fourth uh, most, you know, uh, most popular answer is I don't know, right? So what can we do with all the information that we're giving you? And how are we putting it into practice? But then how can we relate all those practices to outside of the classroom and relate to whatever it is that you're going to be doing in life? So, so that's kind of like how our classes are, uh, are um, you know, how, how they go and stuff. And I think it's a really, really unique way to learn. And, and then we try to address all the students' different learning styles. So, you know, some learn by doing, some learn through uh, experimentation, you know, others learn through, you know, just, just, just through, you know, visual or verbal. There's so many different ways. So we try to address each individual and, and hopefully we try to enhance their learning environments. You no, know, I think there's so many good things in what you just shared as far as uh, a listener 
are taking away and, and looking at sort of uh, the the pedagogy structure of this classroom because I can I can certainly relate as a uh, in undergrad kin courses back then it seemed like here's the textbook let's read the chapter but no real hands on applied sort of uh, uh, teaching right which you know as you as you look at different learning styles and different students right some exactly as you said learn by doing some learn by reading some learn by seeing and i think having that real world yeah. out of the lab uh, applied aspect only enriches the education enriches the teaching moment so that's uh and i i also think what you guys are doing brilliantly is that uh you're applying sort of not only the modalities in which you're discussing and you know, prior of it, but you're applying it in what is otherwise a real world scenario because, you know, so often in coaching, and this is sort of which will lend us to our, maybe our next topic of the art of coaching, it's dealing with the chaos that, that arises in real world athletics. And it's not, it's not a laboratory. It's not a, there's not a structured uh, protocol that you're following necessarily when your team reports to a training session and they're, you know, bus was late or they stayed up late because they had to miss a flight because of weather delays. And those are the things that they won't teach you necessarily in a textbook that you have to navigate as a coach as you learn and, uh, and gain experience in the field. So I think that's instrumental that you guys are teaching that. But I think what's even one step further is that, again, it's, it's, it's the, the experiences that we're providing our students is that, like, I don't know about you, but when, when I grew up, I was 14 years old. And I had my first job. I used to clean cars on the weekends. And you would have to interact with customers. You would have to interact. I'd have to interact with, with my boss and, and fellow workers. And a lot of students now, as I notice, is that some of them going out into, you know, some kind of a placement at the end of their, at the end of their you know, um, college, university, maybe, you know, early 20s, that's their first work experience. And to me, it's like, what we're also trying to trying to give them is like, you know, here you're going to be doing a presentation in front of the class. Here's your chance in order to present yourself. And it's much more than just about the material presenting, but how you actually present it is very important as well. And then on the flip side is when the student acts as part of the audience, we want you guys engaged, but we also want you learning how to ask good questions in order to, you know, for clarification, for intrigue, to bring about good discussion. And there's so much to it that, like I said, just apart from even just the material is just really trying to provide them a lot of experience so that when they when they do go into the real world, it's like, hey, I've done this already. And this isn't new to me. So, so again, it's just, again, it's just, you know, trying to just give them experiences. And, and again, from all the years of that I've been working and just the years of things that I've made as mistakes and trying to share a lot of my personal stuff. So then to them, it's like, we're not just giving you stuff to do for the sake of doing it, but everything you're doing, this is what I do every single day. And if you're working in this field, you're not going to be working in a cardboard box. More often than not, you're going to be working with other people. So how do you relate to those people? How do you how do you find their passions? How do you engage with them? Because you know, one strategy that you use for one person isn't going to work for somebody else, right? So it's just this whole 
just just trying to relate to people like we were saying earlier, building rapport. Um, there's there's so much that goes into it, and I guess when you're going through it to them, sometimes they don't see that. But from our end as instructors, it's like this stuff is just so valuable, and I just I, and I'm really really excited about about the direction that we've taken because I just think that it just provides so much more um, for our students than just like here's a textbook, here's some information, go off and learn it, write a test. Good luck to you. See you later, kind of thing. I relate it to uh, to a story that I share with my staff all the time, uh, as far as coaching goes. Right, like the parallel I make is to a musician playing an instrument, and our instrument just has happens to be the science and the understanding of how to train athletes in whatever modalities that we select. Uh, that's the prerequisite of it, right? Like you you need to know how to play the instrument, but ultimately. For me, what what gets me fired up in the morning is seeing sort of the crowd respond to the instrument, and you know, like as the, and which is lends itself to the art of coaching, which is essentially building engagement, building buy-in, getting them uh, excited, the athletes about the session, and that's for me, that's just like a natural high. I leave the weight room, you know. I, thrilled that the athletes have bought into a program. But very rarely do I ever see in an, an undergraduate or graduate level kinesiology courses is that art of communication and that rapport building and that buy-in and that engagement, um, which has been something for me post-collegiately that I've had to study through resources and books and podcasts and audios because, you know, like you said, I mean, most of the students will leave university uh, or leave high school and never, never even have uh, really a, a human relationship or uh, um, communication with a customer or another coworker or someone like that. Where, where, where do you think? You said that a lot of that course as well was sort of built and formulated around the audience asking, learning how to ask good questions. And where do you think? in your experiences, the mentors or the resources that you've cultivated and curated, um, was there anyone that stands out as far as mentors or significant part, particular resources that you refer back to that, that shaped your ability to ask good questions and to build that relationship with the athletes and the coaches that you work with? Yeah, for for me growing up, like with mentors and 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 interactions and and just things that have helped shape me. I think you know maybe not knowing it back then, but I think every and knowing so now that obviously every interaction you have is is going to shape you in some form or another, uh, whether positive, negative. Um, you can always learn something uh, from those interactions. And I remember growing up, um, or even when I was in my you know mid to late twenties is, again, still trying to figure out my path and trying to figure out what it is that I really wanted to do. And the thing is, is that, you know, I had a mentor who, from a, you know, knowledge and and hands-on approach was very good. And it wasn't until years later that I realized that a lot of the message, I guess, sending or um, just being a good person um, or just being a humble person wasn't as good as it should have been. 
so some of the advice I remember getting is that, you know, hey, you've taken this course. You shouldn't share the information that you've got because that's what's going to make you better and that's what's going to do. And, and, and I remember struggling with that in the beginning because I was like, I don't know what that means because to me it's, you know, if you're sharing information – you're making other people better and it's going to help make you better and maybe you know lead to some kind of discussion or things like that and and not realizing that that mentor actually ended not being a good mentor to me which kind of helped me to what i guess i hope i'm making sense when i say all this but you know with some of the mentors i end up getting later on is is just realizing how much how beneficial they were for me and and actually made me understand what made them good mentors and uh, one person that comes to mind is uh, is a professor that i work with closely at uh, Sheridan college uh was a guy named trevor cottrell and he's been great and uh, he really helped shape you know who i am today um just with you know providing me with a lot of experience um you know giving me a lot of good advice uh helping me with resources that that I, you know later i would um that i would later you know dive into and kind of learn from but also to be you know to really question what it is that we are doing and to never be satisfied with just you know, to really try to dive in to find out what people are doing and not necessarily, and this, and this is what I mean by trying to help our audience to become, you know, better at, at asking good questions, but it's never to, it's never to go in to try and make someone feel insecure or to really question what they do or to put anyone on the spot and try and make them feel, you know, you know, not as knowledgeable or to try and make them feel dumb, I guess, in a sense, but it's to, you know, let's really dive into what it is that you did because I'm really, truly fascinated with what you're doing. And maybe by me trying to really question some of the things that you're doing will help give you more verification as to why you're doing it, but then will also help us go into this interaction where maybe we can find an even better way to do it. And so I guess, you know, helping both of us to to become more knowledgeable on the topic and and then who knows where it leads to afterwards. Um, so like I said, Dr. Trevor Cottrell was a really good mentor. Um, so a gentleman that I'm working with right now, Dr. David Frost, he's been a really, really good mentor as well. Um, and, and just honestly, I just find a lot of the interactions I have with a lot of my fellow coaches, like a lot of people that I hire now, I bring them on board because like I want them to be better than me. And I want them to be better me than me, so that way it helps me become a better person. Because at the end of the day, you know, I'm not doing anything, you know, extraordinary that nobody else is doing. Is you know, we're called kind of doing the same thing, but how can we all, you know, make each other better? How can we make this industry better? You know, and even this interaction that you and I are having now is that, you know, I'm really as interested in knowing about the things that you do as as you are uh, about me. And and from there, it's like, you know, how can we learn from this? How can we build from this? How can we, you know, wow, look, he he mentioned this. Well, let me try that next time I'm doing something like this, or this is a, you know, this is approach or 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 something that you had with your athletes where you're like, you know, we were trying to really trying to implement this and it wasn't working. So here's a strategy that we used or vice versa. Um, so I guess for me, that's that's kind of, you know, the whole full circle is, as to why we're really trying to teach these students, you know, how to ask good questions, how to be engaged, you know, what does it lead to afterwards? Can it lead to some intrigue and, and, and knowing what each other's doing and thinking? And, you know, and again, it's it's with these courses that it's not just about me up there instructing. It's not just about me giving them all this knowledge, you know, up front, but through their interactions, what can and their discussions, what can they teach each other? 
You know, and the class is almost kind of built in a sense where that's what we really, really encourage because we want the students to kind of take charge of their own learning. And, you know, we may have some structure as to things that we need to cover and things that we need to, you know, to go through and go over and things like that from a content point of view. But, you know, where it leads to after that is really up to the students. And if they really grab the opportunity, you know, and really take charge of it, it can lead to so much more for them. And that's something that we're really hoping that that uh, that they'll come they'll come to understand. Yeah, you, you know, and when you were talking about, and you made crystal clear sense to me, but I think to expand on it a little bit, when you were talking about mentors, both maybe uh, you know demonstrating both good characteristics, classically good characteristics, and bad characteristics, I think it's important to realize that. Regardless, it's still a learning opportunity. I mean, I've had some some really great people in my life that's done some exceptional things that in reflecting back on it, I said positively shaped my life. And then also, and maybe just as equally important, that there's people that's done things in, in hundreds of different ways or communication or whatever it might be that's made me only upon reflection say, there's a better way of doing that. I'm going to make sure that in my future that I, I, I go a different course or I do a different path. And I think that's just as powerful as uh, a mentor sharing, you know, uh, the successes that they've had, that the tried and true sort of ways of doing things. But I think sometimes that, that can be lost if you're not taking the time or the white space to reflect upon maybe that there is a better way of doing things. Um, so I think that's a powerful, um, powerful statement that you had as far as just being aware and, and kind of uh, aware that there is, you know, I think there's, there's no difference between um, sometimes that, you know, the, the good qualities, the good things that mentors do and maybe some of the bad ones, uh, the bad things they do. Um, with that said, um, as we go into this, I, and I know that with your position and, and your work of uh, at Power FC, you U10s to U20s. I mean, that's a that's a, a huge age gap age gap with a wide varieties of different physicalities, different sort of uh, physiological sort of states that each athlete are in. So it it lends itself to a, a nice kind of transition into. Maybe some some of your work from a long term athletic development standpoint to the differences of communications. I mean, I'd love for you to share uh, a little for a, a little about sort of your experiences working with this U ten to U twenty sort of range for some of the coaches that might be listening to this show that don't have the experience working with, you know, anybody outside of 19 to 22 years of age because they fall outside the collegiate realm. I mean, what what are the big things, the big experiences, the differences, your, your overall sort of uh, experience working with this wide ranges of athletes? Yeah, it's it's challenging. <laughs> it it can it can be it's it's challenging. I'm not gonna lie. Um, there's nothing fancy about it. Sometimes it is extremely chaotic where you want to pull your hair out, and then there's some days where like it is awesome and you come away with some amazing amazing moments. And um, I guess I guess the big thing is is that you know. What we realize is that, and, and I'm sure you can speak from this, is that, 
any anyone can make someone tired right and this is something i try to explain to to my players is that i can take i can grab anyone from the street here and come in and say to you and say to them you need to get these guys fit and i say what do you think they'll do and a lot of the players are like they'll probably just make us run and run and run and run until we're tired and i'm like exactly but at the end of the day have you gotten better and I and I and I kind of really hope that they understand that message I'm trying to give them because then what I try to explain to them is that, you know, no matter what it is that we're doing, I am never going to waste your time, and everything that we are doing has a purpose. I want you guys becoming better, and I the way I try and word it to them that that they get a really good understanding for what it is that I try to do is that I tell them that you know where is it that you are going to become a better soccer player. And, and I really try to have – I try to pose a lot of questions on them, and I want them to, to, to answer me because I want them to, to, to be a part of the process too. And it's kind of – you know, they'll say, well, well I learn better from, from being on the soccer field. I'm like, exactly. I said, will you get better if you're sitting on the sidelines injured? And they're like, no. And I said, okay. So that's kind of where I'm coming in, and that's where I'm starting from is let's focus on things that are going to keep you guys on the field so you can do what you love. Right. And at the same time, maybe help you become a little bit of a better soccer player. I'm like the stuff that I teach you, I can't guarantee that, but I will give you all the tools that you can apply to your sport and and in order to help help you become better. Now, when you're talking to your under 20s, this conversation goes a lot better than when you're talking to your under 10s. By this point, you know, two minutes in, not even two minutes. And I've already lost and they're, you know, ready to jump all over each other and they're doing whatever it is and things like that. So <laughs> now it's like, how can I, yeah, it's, it's, it's awesome. Cause sometimes you walk in there and it's like, holy cow, like I've got, I, by the time I'm done, I've got a throbbing headache, but it's awesome when you see how much energy they have and just the things that they're capable of doing. And then again, it's like it's coming down to, you know, key features. So what is it about movement that we are trying to ensure with every exercise? And then we think about movement patterns and then we think about, you know, fundamental movement skills and thinking about physical literacy and just having an understanding now that, you know what, kids aren't as active as you and I once were when we were younger. Uh, I remember we were talking off earlier when, you know, as a kid, like, you know, I didn't have any of these video games or tablets and they like we played sports. We played street hockey, we played football, we played soccer, we played basketball, you know, we played tag, we played hide and go seek, uh, we played Red Rover. There was all these different things that we did that like we just gave us all these abilities to develop all these different movement skills um, and become proficient with movement and stuff. So with 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 those age groups there, it's kind of like, okay, if I think of a professional player. You know, I think of maybe that's kind of the finished product. Maybe not necessarily because they always have something they can work on, but maybe that's the finished product. And then from there is how can I divide it up into different age groups where it's like this is what we're striving for. And, you know, again, thinking about, you know, like I said earlier, you know, physical literacy and thinking about uh, movement variability and just adding constraints and taking away constraints and just all these little different things where now we give them – you know, even abilities to solve little problems. And when we're doing exercises, you know, I may even impose different instructions. I may give them a lot of instructions up front on this is how exactly I want you to do it. But there may be other times where it's like, you know what? I'm not going to give you any instructions. I'm going to show you once how to do it. But then I want to leave it up to you to kind of figure out. And that way you're, you can you can learn a little bit more, your your body, you can learn your how your body moves a little bit better. And and just by providing them a lot of education, give them a lot of opportunities to just, you know, self-discover 
right, I think is so beneficial. And um, maybe that more of that approach is on the younger side of things. But then as we progress, things become a little bit more structured. And now um, there are specific things that I need them to focus on. Because again, once we hit the U20 age group, which is usually a lot of our U17 players, uh, a lot of these players are now getting ready to head off to college and college programs. So it's basically trying to instruct and get them get the fundamentals down packed so that way when they come to schools such as yours a lot of these athletes are ready to go and they they have so much movement variability they have a good movement vocabulary and now they are just ready to go and then start to excel a little bit further yeah i think uh <laughs> i can certainly relate to the the age gaps in some respects as uh as this was maybe my first semester where we've conducted a uh, an ltad camp for youth volleyball athletes from uh ages 18 to 14 is one group and then we have a 10 to 14s and uh you hit it right on the nail uh you know your ability to capture an attention of a 10 year old um you have about 30 good seconds and then it is uh then they're pulling hair out or playing with the sand or or uh, running around or completely lost focus so i'm always looking at that as you know like a, a coach i um respect i mean from you know, John Wooden and his ability to clearly communicate with crystal clarity um, in the fewest words as possible to deliver sort of a, a movement outcome. You know, like I think I, I can get away with explaining the what, the why, the how uh, with 22 to 18 year olds and then a little bit less from 17 to 14. But boy, by the time you get down to those 14 to 10 year olds, yeah, it, it is uh your verbal cueing as a coach has to be spot on because you don't have that that time delay or that that attention to detail um, as they as they certainly uh, age and mature a little bit. And I, I love the fact that you talked about or at least providing these athletes uh, a medium of self discovery. And I'm curious. I mean, I think in the age of sort of you know obviously of being a parent, but in the age of of helicopter parents. I mean, I don't know if, if self-discovery is as proficient as, uh, as rampant as it used to be, uh, you know, back in the eighties, the nineties, the seventies. I mean, what are, what are your thought, thought process? I mean, as you're providing this open space for them to sort of work these strategies out initially without any coaching early on, do they struggle with it? And if so, why do you think they do? You know what, Adam? I think it's amazing when you actually empower them a little bit. And to me, it's like, you know, I always tell the kids that no matter what, when we do our our strength and conditioning work or fitness work, you know, I have three rules. And the first rule is you have to listen. So when I'm speaking or if any one of the other players is speaking, we all have to listen. Right. Because then and then I always tell them, you know, when we listen, what happens? And then, you know, most of them are like, we learn. I'm like, great. That's what I want. So the second thing is you always have to try your best. And I say explain to them that, you know, with that, I'm going to give you a lot of things that you may have never done before. I'm going to give you, you know, activities to do that you might not be very good at. But all I want you to do is try. And if you try, you might see something amazing might happen. And then the last rule I usually tell them is that, you know, we have to put a smile on our face. We have to have fun when we're doing all of this. And and based on that, that's what I always tell them. As long as you try, I don't care. So, for example, some things we was like, hey, guys, you know what we're going to do right now? Cartwheels. And some kids are like, I don't know how to do cartwheels. I'm like, you know what? I don't care. I'm like, figure it out. I'm like, have fun with it. 
Look at how one person does it and just try to do it yourself. And if you can't do it, think of maybe a different way you could do it. And just and just let them just let them do it, right? And eventually over time, they figure it out. Or you know what, guys, we're going to do somersaults today or we're going to do some kind of crab crawl or, you know, what, what they absolutely love is they love relays, right? And I'm like, awesome, because then it all becomes about he cheated, he cheated, no, he cheated, we're, we didn't cheat, he cheated. It's amazing, right? And then you kind of joke around with them about that. But again, it's like, how can I put all these little different activities into each little station part of the relay? So how can we work on some hopping? How can we work on, you know, some skipping movements? How can we work on some quadruped movements? And even, for example, I'll say to them, okay, here's what you have to do. Here's a ball. You need to get this ball from point A to point B, right? Uh, you have to have both feet and both hands on the ground, and I don't care how you get the ball there. So some of them will do a front crawl where the ball is is you know in 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 their stomach area, and they'll get it from one end to the other end. Someone might do it where um, you know they're trying to do some kind of a bear crawl where now all of a sudden the ball is in between their legs, and you know then by looking at each other they kind of figure things out. Maybe someone comes up with something different, but again at the end of the day it's just you know, here's a little problem that I'm going to give you and I want you to figure out some way to solve it. And I don't care how you do it, right? But I might give them some little restrictions. I might keep it completely open and, and just let them have some fun with it without, without someone telling them how to do it or, or, you know, that you're not doing it wrong or get mad at them or anything like just, just you know what guys, just experience this. And then, you know, cause then you do get some parents who are like, well, wait a second. I thought I sent my kid here for soccer. Why is he doing all this other stuff? This isn't soccer stuff. And that's where now you have to have that dialogue with the parent and even the coach that could say, you know what, like the soccer stuff, that that's your domain. I'm not going to tread upon that. But you know what, let me work on some different types of movement skill. Uh, like I said, you know, fundamental movement skill. We look at different types of movement patterns, you know, just trying to build their, their movement vocabulary. So now when they are presented with some kind of problem, They've got all these different ways on how to 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 figure that out. And I think by doing that is just, you know what, it just it just lets them have fun. You know what I mean? No one is telling them what they have to do and how to do it. Um, there are times where it's like, you know, again, you have to be careful with how much you give them because then it can get out of control really fast, like really fast. And it's like, okay, guys hold on a second everybody come on back in for a second you know what were my instructions okay let's try and do this again and uh and then sometimes you know what you have to sometimes it's like hey you know what guys everybody leave here go run a lap around the field and as much as i hate to do that sometimes you need to just hit the reset button and it's like okay everyone comes back let's start again and 45 minutes can go very fast sometimes and sometimes 45 minutes can seem like three hours. And uh, But like I said, it, it keeps me on my toes. And, and like we talked about earlier is that, you know, any type of like interaction like that just, just helps shape what the next session is going to be like and how can we keep building off of all these things. And, you know, instead of just kicking a ball, can we throw a ball? Can we, you know, all these different there's, – there's, there's so much endless possibilities with these guys. And, and that's why I have so much fun with them is just because you can throw anything at them. And, and a lot of them are just are, – are really excited about being the, given the opportunity to try and learn and do something new. I think back in like 2010 for myself was the moment when I started to program a little bit more – movement variability in with some of our basketball athletes and uh what i found is that uh these guys could do amazingly athletic things on the basketball court but struggled to do a somersault or do a cartwheel and it just shows that there's a huge lack 
of movement variability or vocabulary for athletes that sort of assign. And then we all know this, I think, at least in our profession, our field, but that that sort of prescribe to I'm going to do AAU basketball and then I'm going to move into summer basketball and fall basketball and then I'm prepared for my winter season and that there's no other sort of medium or outlet for them to a learn about different fundamental movements that all support and engage uh, them on the basketball court or in your uh, environment on the football or the soccer field Um, I think it's it, it, it's, it's something that's sorely needed and, and why I've seen, certainly with our LTAD sort of camp, is that the athletes that move the best in our weight room, um, when, I, when they're coming in as freshmen and I'm like, hey, you know, uh, you, you, you score really great on our movement screens. Um, you're really gravitating to the, profession, to the progressions that we're uh, prescribing for you. You, do you have a background in any other sport outside of, say, tennis or, you know, outside of whatever sport they're here to play? And most of the athletes will say, uh, you know, I've done, you know, I was a, I was in gymnastics as a kid or I did rhythmic gymnastics or some sort of, you know, other sport at a higher level. And I think that movement variability only helps them exceed. And, and as we know, through early specialization and, and injury uh probability and injury likelihoods of it um i just find that fascinating that that there's still this sort of approach to from a parental standpoint from a coach standpoint to be resistant of prescribing different movement variability and different skills yeah i think i think too what's really important adam is if you think about is that you know we are both in like a performance-related field, where you know, uh, you know, maybe more so on your end because you know the collegiate level and just having to get the results that you need to do. But also from my point of view, is that you know, I I also have to somewhat get these results as well, um, and, and and you know, because there's a whole you know other factor side to things. But at the end of the day, is this is that you know, like you said, you may have. You may have that collegiate player right now who, like I said, they play spring ball, they play summer ball, they play you know collegiate ball, then they play whatever it is. They're playing basketball constantly. But what happens when those four years are up? What happens if if they don't get drafted or they don't continue to play the sport after that? Is is now what 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 is left of them? And at the end of the day, like I'd like to think of it as you know how are we also making sure that these people, you know, stay active for life. So how are we ingraining these good habits where now it's not just about playing the basketball or playing or playing soccer or about it. It's, it's about, you know, how can we just keep them active? So now, again, building on all these things of physical literacy, how do we give, you know, these these athletes the confidence, you know, and the competence in order to do other things? So say, for example, it's like, you know, they're with a group of friends now. They're in their work career and, and they have a group of friends now that, that you know, join, uh, uh, have a volleyball team. And this is this person's way of staying active. Well, if they're not developing some of these skills on the front end, then maybe this is something that that doesn't appeal to them because they just don't have that confidence or that competence of being of being active. And now all of a sudden they don't engage in these activities. You know, lifestyle has changed and maybe now they're not as healthy as they need to be. Right. So at the end of the day is that how can how can I help them? How can I make them excited about physical activity? Not necessarily just about the sport, but just about being 
active in in general right because you know i know for my age now it's it's i don't play as much soccer as i did and now it's i need to find ways that i can stay active in order for myself to lead a, a you know an active lifestyle now is it is it going for a walk is it you know now shoveling the snow on my driveway is it mowing my lawn or raking my leaves and and you know and just going for jogs or or you know now that i cycle I'm, i i get on my bike and i ride and just and just doing different things now to, to stay active um all the time to build on that what's so important too i mean for most athletes their collegiate career will end and they probably won't have a professional career that bridges on afterwards but i think it's so important too if we were to look at our positions and our jobs holistically to make sure that we are teaching and we're empowering and giving them the tools to then be able to carry on these skills for the rest of their life. Um, and, you know, not only the athlete development standpoint from a physical standpoint, but I've always told and, and demand of our staff that when an athlete leaves, they should leave with their degree in hand, um, championships, rings, and the other, and a whole toolkit of knowing how to eat and how to sleep and how to take care of their, their work-life balance or their academic, social, athletic sort of uh, – uh, domain balance. They should know how to recover after tough physical activities and to use a wide variety of different modalities. They should know basics of applied sports psychology and, and how to defeat negative self-talk and how to use visualization and how to meditate. And if they don't, then ultimately the student hasn't learned and therefore we haven't really effectively taught them those things. So I think it, it transcends just the four years that they're here in university, but it should be a toolkit that they use for the rest of their life, whether or not they're in sport or they're dealing with a, a tough time in the business world that they're in or in a family, as a father, as a mother, as a daughter, as a son, whatever it might be. They should have the toolkit and the, the skill set to be able to employ those strategies at any time. Yeah, I think that's really important too. exactly what you're saying. And then just, you know, building even off of what you just said now is that, you know, I may be an instructor at the University of Toronto. I may have my own business, uh, you know, Athletic Solutions Incorporated, um, which is where I do my strength and conditioning. But if I were to wrap all of those roles up, you know, like I'm an educator. And, and, and that's what I do. Like I, I teach people, you know, constantly and exactly it's all the things that you just brought up, you know, and, and it's even as, as, it's even the youngsters that I work with, with my under 13s that I honestly, last week I had, you know, an amazing moment with them where, uh, you know, all the things we're working on, I give them a lot of, I give them a little bit of education up front and, you know, I question them and I want them to learn at the, at the, at the end of every training session, I'm like, you know, okay guys, what are some of the things that we learned today? And I don't want them to understand that we're doing exercise just for the sake of exercise. We're not using these modalities just for the sake of using it. But these are the important things that we need to understand when we do this. And what was awesome was one of the kids brought up something where one of their coaches or something um, gave them an exercise where, where it had crunches. And they were kind of given this fitness challenge and they had to do all these crunches for, for so many months and things like that. And they're like, hey – when the coach gave it to them, they're like, hey, wait a minute. Coach Derek said we shouldn't be doing crunches because it's not necessarily safe for our spine. And, you know, is there anything else we can do? And I'm like, this is an under 13 kid who has just said this. And I'm like, 
And he wasn't the only one. There were several others who came up to me afterwards. And I'm like, this is amazing. And I'm like, so guys, what do you think? And they're like, well, you know, you taught us about these lines on our back and how they shouldn't get further apart or closer together. And, you know, that we should be maintaining this. And, you know, and, and, and I'm like, okay, so what about all the exercises that we did today? How did those challenge your, 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 your spine and, and how to keep your spine nice and safe? And they're like, well, we had to do this. And the fact that they could rhyme this off to me, I'm like, these kids are like 12 or 13 years old. And this is amazing. So now the coach was caught off guard and he didn't know what to say. So now they approach me and they're like, well, what else can we do? I'm like, well, what do you guys think you could do? And they're like, well, could we do this exercise and this exercise? I'm like, exactly. Would it challenge the same things that a sit-up would do? And they're like, yeah, it would. And I'm like, then you guys know what to do. And, and after that, I walked away. I'm thinking, you know, to me, that is powerful, right? That is like, that's a job well done. And that's something that like, you know, now that gives me, like I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about that. And I'm like, I, you know, that now that that's what drives me forward to go and work every single day is just knowing that in these kids, I made a huge difference. And now they understand that at their age, they've just found a much safer way to, you know, a better way to keep their body safe and, and still get some of the things or the adaptations that we're trying to impose on them. So, and, 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 and this is where I just think that we, you know, we're not just strength and conditioning coaches. We're not just instruct, but like, but we're educators, and this is what we are doing every single day. You know, I was going to ask you, which is is kind of funny that you led to that, but I was going to ask you what, how do you commonly answer the the question that we all get at some point in time in our lives as we're traveling, moving on? Uh, what do you do? And I love the fact <laughs> that your response is an educator because um, I absolutely think. That that's what our roles are, despite what, you know, ESPN or Sports Illustrated or the the sort of uh, inflation of salaries might be collegiately, professionally. At the end of the day, we should be teaching. We should be educating. We should be empowering. Yes, there's high pressures to perform and high stakes to perform. But at the end of the day, it should still be about educating the student athlete. And uh, I, I just absolutely loved it like made the the hair on my arm stand up uh, when you responded that way because that's the same way that I respond when I'm traveling is I'm yeah I'm an educator which then you know most of them what do you teach and it's like well I teach uh, I teach athletes how to optimize their athletic potential and they're like oh that's that's weird <laughs> you know like where do you teach that and then it goes into a kind of uh, a long about response of it but um, I as we kind of come towards the end of this show. I want to dive in to just a couple more questions that I, that again, to sort of scratch my own itch, uh, since I have you on your line, I have you on the line. But a lot of the listeners that might be listening to the Decoding Excellence shows is searching, is interested, is motivated by trying to truly encapsulate what excellence is, and I would love to hear. Uh, in your experience, in your career, what what advice would you give your younger self or a younger coach getting into physical preparation, education, training athletes? What is that piece of advice that you might tell them? Well, there's the, <laughs> where do I start? <laughs> um, no, I'd have to say that for myself, I guess one of the biggest things was um, – have you you have read Mindset by Carol Dweck? Yes, great book. Yeah, yeah great, uh, fantastic. Like I I recommend that to so many people. 
and I can relate to myself back in high school. And 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 this is this is the God's honest truth. I was a smart kid. I would have to say that I was lazy and that things came very easy to me. But when it was time to put in the work, when I wasn't getting things, Derek tuned out. And Derek started to think that, you know what, again, like the whole fixed mindset that uh, that this is as good as I was going to be and I can't do the things that I want and I'll have to leave those up to the people that, that you know, are much smarter than me, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I'd even have to say when I was going through my undergrad, you know, sort of the same thing. It's just not really having much direction in the things that I wanted to do, not really sure what I wanted to do. I always knew what my interests were, but how to go about them was just something that, you know, I wasn't wasn't sure of. And I guess the biggest thing for me is that and again, I think it's just even going back to, you know, we were saying earlier with interactions is not being afraid to ask. And I think those are some of the things that that I was afraid of doing in the beginning was not talking to people to get more information and just kind of, you know, on the shy side and 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 just, you know, because, again, I had really no direction and stuff like that. But again, it's if, you, if we're searching for excellence is is always trying to find out the why and you know, and, and just having and just asking people for, you know, for advice and help. And because and, there are a lot of people out there who who are willing to do that. And it's just something that, you know, as silly as it sounds like, you know, Twitter, I think, is such a great, great platform for for things like that, because there's so many different people you can reach out to who are always willing to help and, 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 and lend a, a hand of some sort or to provide some sort of direction. And it's always you know, not being afraid to to answer maybe those burning questions you have inside you and just trying to go and find those answers. And and I guess if I had to look back at myself is that, you know what, like, yeah, if there's all those things that you were curious about and things that you weren't sure of is just, just to go and find out about them and to ask, you know, and, 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 and gain that knowledge from people who have gone through it and stuff. And, you know, I know what the purpose of your podcast here, which I think is fantastic is, is, you know, despite all the science side of things, let's, let's get to know, you know, about individuals and, and what makes them click and, and, and how we can actually help each other progress in this profession. Um, not just from the profession side of things, but also, you know, to help us grow as people and to become better every single day. And I guess maybe, you know, like I said, searching for excellence is just, is just trying to answer those questions. And, and maybe, maybe, maybe that's not the answer, but I know for me, it's just now it's like when I'm not sure of something is, is I'm going to go and find out more about it and, and, and just trying to progress in there. And then how will this make me better? And I think sometimes asking other people for help, you know, some may view it as a sign of weakness, but at the end of the day, if I don't ask for help, that information that I'm trying to find, I'm never going to know it. So to me, that's probably more of a sign of weakness, right? I guess I, I hope that makes sense. No, no, I, I, you know, like learned helplessness is obviously something that Carol Dweck talks quite a bit in that book. Yep. And I think it is uh, one of the hallmarks of it is, you know, an unwillingness to ask for help and to sort of be isolated in this helplessness position. So I do think that, um, that ability to ask for help when it comes uh, when it comes up is a something that I look at as a position of strength because very much you know people do not know that you need help unless otherwise you ask for it um, and that seems a, a tendency that I've seen 
sort of uh, across the board in, in society is everybody sort of assumes that every, everything and everybody is doing okay unless somebody asks for help. But so many people, I think, are powerless or or afraid to ask for it. So I definitely, uh, my sort of paradigm of that has shifted to a position of strength. And for me as well, to kind of bridge on that, that response is that, you know, classically, the, you know, one of the reasons why this show exists is so that not only do I have an opportunity to bring people like yourself on the show and, and get to know you and, and learn from your experiences and the things that have made you successful and excellent, but it's also a medium for me to work on uh, the communication aspect of it. I am a classical um, based on, and we could talk about the, the efficacy of the Meyer Briggs sort of personality uh, profile, but I'm classically an INTJ. So like as a, you know, a borderline clinical introvert, you know, it, it takes quite a bit for me to open up to other people and to share despite, you know, maybe what my Twitter looks like. Uh, I, you know, this, this show is a medium of, you know, this idea of trying to work on communication. And I think the high pressure stakes of putting a microphone and publishing this online is hopefully my attempt of, of sort of self-improvement in what is otherwise a, uh, a challenging, um, position. But because you referenced that book, I do want to say that, um, another tremendous book, uh, that sort of when you said, you know, you found yourself kind of in this position where, um, you know, when things got hard, that it wasn't like the easiest time. And granted, many, many, many years ago, which probably led you to this response and the position that where you're in now, as far as learning how to deal with it. But for the audience that might be listening to it, I think it's a great reference that if you've read Carol Dweck's book and you feel and you sort of wrapped your head around the ideas of learned helplessness and a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. Angela Duxworth's book called Grit, The Power of Passion and Perseverance, is another tremendous read that I, I, I kind of feel like bridges on top of Carol Dweck's book as well. Um, and one that you know I, I recommend to a lot of our own staff here um, and former athletes and current athletes as well. I'd be curious to hear, you know, first of all, with with that, I know we've talked about, you know, uh, Carol Dweck's book and now just referencing grit. Are there do, do you you know, I, I've had other guests on the show that talks about that uh, learners are leaders and that a common characteristic of people that lead uh, and teach are just the proficiency and the sort of frequency of reading. Are there any books that you highly recommend to your students or to other people or books that you've commonly given as presents or, or anything that, uh, that you commonly refer to? Um, yeah, there are, there are a few. Now, as far as reading goes, I'm really behind on my reading. Um, I have a sister who last year, her goal was to read 150 books in one year and she got up to 135, I believe. And she's handed a lot of those over to me. So it may take me about 13 years to read all of those. Uh, but yeah, so I'm slowly but surely trying to get through some. But some of the good ones that um, that I've really enjoyed is, apart from Carol Dweck's book, Their Mindset, is uh, Legacy by James Kerr. And I think it's such a great read just for um, – just about establishing culture and and good culture. And if I would have to say – from a lot of the different environments I've worked in is 
is I think a lot of that is lacking, like a good, good clear uh, common culture. So I know with 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 with, 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 with sorry with my business and. Um, and the staff that I bring on that, you know, I, I really try to focus on that. And um, so I find that to be an amazing book. Um, another one that I really like is Atul Gawande's uh, Checklist Manifesto. I just think that it's an amazing read. I just think having, you know, a checklist of things you do and how you go about your daily life um, and just trying to, for me, it's to help stay organized and just to make sure that these are all the different things that I've gone through uh, with every program, uh, with every individual that I meet kind of thing um those are probably the other two that um that i really like to recommend um and like there's so many other good ones out there and stuff but those are probably the the top three that i recommend to most people i uh i have legacy on my shelf that sits next to uh urban myers above the line because i think those two books um do a tremendous job as at teaching and providing a, a pretty good framework for the development of high standards and um, building a culture of success in an organization. And I definitely agree with um, uh, the checklist manifesto. And then, you know, I, I know in my own sort of notes, uh, as I'm, whether it's, you know, for, for any reason, if I'm preparing a packet for my staff or whatever, the same sort of ideology that he includes or the, the story he shares about Van Halen's brown M&M's, you know, like I always try to sneak something in there so that, you know, I can tell whether or not they've actually read it. Uh, I, I think also for those that have read that book, that sort of story, you know, resonates for a lot of different people. So great, great, tremendous books on that by all means. Well, I want to respect your time. I don't want to keep you here for too much longer. I know that, you know, a busy day children running about, you know, life and business. And it's, you know, you already shared that, you know, for, uh, for most days it's from sun up to sundown. So when there are days, <laughs> when there are days off, you know, I, I always try to advocate for our own staff to go get out of the gym, get away from here. Like you need to have that work life balance and, and, you know, it's pervasive in this industry. I think to, I should get on to, I should get on social media. I should get on Twitter. I should read a book. I should read this article. I should do this. I should go to this workshop. Uh, but I also don't want our coaches to lose themselves in the process of really trying to be an excellent coach. So in, in respect of that, in respect of your time and that balance, uh, I want to kind of put a, put a bow tie on this thing. The audience that is listening to this, number one, you do have a Twitter. Uh, it's ASI underscore strength. And that's where I first followed you. And I, I started to share and retweet and favor a lot of your things. And then uh, at, at one point kind of worked up the courage to be like, I need to have you on the show because I think the materials that you're sharing with what you're doing in your business and you know, academically and, and elsewhere are tremendous. You need to be able to share this and continue to share this in a, uh, a long form, not 140 character sort of fashion. So if there, if there are other areas or ways, I mean, if you were to say, you know, a request of the audience that have listened to the end of this podcast. What what might that request uh, be to them? And then to build on that, uh, where can they find you? What's the best way of reaching the uh, reaching you? 
Yeah. So yeah, if anyone wants to uh, to get a hold of me, they can use my Twitter account, which I'm pretty active on Twitter. Uh, it becomes more for me. Twitter, I think, is an amazing resource. And again, it's like yeah, like you said, this is how we connected. You know, just uh, finding good people such as your show, uh, such as uh, yourself, who who like to share information. Um, so I like to post a lot of research papers that I've come across. Um, like to retweet a lot of things that researchers are putting out there. Uh, sometimes just having some good dialogue uh, with with people talking. On different topics, different concepts, um, so they can reach me through Twitter, like you said. So my my Twitter uh, handle is at uh, asi underscore strength. Um, if people want to get a hold of me, maybe to even more than just 140 characters, like you said, uh, they can reach me at my email address, which is Derek at Athletic Solutions Inc. dot um, So, like I said, anything you know, what I mean, I can help out. Um, I'm willing to help people out in any way that I can. And if I can't, then, you know, steer them into the direction of the people who can. Um, so, yeah, so those are probably the two best ways for, for, for people to, uh, to get a hold of me. Yeah, excellent. And I'll make sure that I include uh, your Twitter and resources in the show notes so that the audience members could find what you're posting and begin to follow you on Twitter um, probably won't plug your email so that you don't get hit up by spam and uh, <laughs> and have you know advertisements come to your email box. But uh, that will all be included in the show notes. So, uh, Derek, I cannot thank you enough for coming on the Decoding Excellence show and spending a little time and investing it here and just your experiences with um, the various organizations, your experience with working with youth athletes up to 20s, up to to older, your academic experiences, the successes, the things that that you have found to be instrumental in your career, um, I think can be a tremendous resource that the audience listening to the show can walk away from this podcast and begin to uh, start to formulate their own ideas as how to navigate um, an otherwise cloudy world of strength conditioning and athletic performance potential. So thank you for coming on, Derek. I appreciate it. Um, until next time, man, let's, uh, let's connect again. Yeah, absolutely. Adam. Thanks for having me on. It was a real, real pleasure uh, chatting with you about this. Um, hopefully the audience uh, has, uh, has quite a few takeaways from and stuff, but no, this, this was amazing. And, uh, and I really appreciate all the work that you do. Uh, I think you're a pretty stand up guy. You put yourself out there and um, you know what people, people are, are going to be better because of it. So. Hey, I appreciate it, man. And uh, until next time, let's reconnect. Sounds good, my friend. Take thank care. you. I want to thank Coach Derek Salvador for coming on the Decoding Excellence show. I took a lot away from this conversation, including some of the differences between training U10s and U20s and the ideology that the higher you advance in sport, the more difficult it becomes. I couldn't agree less with that statement in the aspect of trying to wrangle and train uh, under 10s is a difficulty and a challenge that many coaches probably won't have embraced and one that you should try because it really because it really forces you to become a better coach and use better cueing to capture their attention span. This is a wide-ranging conversation and his thoughts as far as training and the enrichment of uh, the academic process in involving kinesiology students in strength and conditioning and the design and, and differences of modalities is one that I will apply to Wichita State and continue to try to grow our internship program. Coach shared tremendous insights in his experiences. And like always, this show is about truly understanding what goes into making an excellent coach. 
the intangibles, the behaviors, the tactics, tools, and techniques that coaches utilize to become expert at what they do and a master of their craft. Like always, this show is designed to truly understand and dive deep into the intangibles of excellent coaches. And until next time, this is the Decoding Excellence Show. Thank you.